Having children used to be a given. It didn't need a case to be made. It didn't need anybody to advocate for it. Procreation was a given as it's an innate desire of man and woman and the bond created was a strong thread that could not be broken. The birth of a child that was noticeably, noticeably similar to both man and woman in appearance only strengthened it. In livestock, when a mother doesn't take care of and nurture its young, we say it's defective. We pull the calf or lamb or kid and hope that the next crop of babies, that motherly instinct will kick in. You don't see these things in heritage breeds. The maternal instinct is strong. And breeds that have been selectively bred and moved and fed experimental diets, artificial su supplements, the motherly instinct is seemingly alive in the majority of the herd, but sometimes it will fall below 50%. Especially in times of hardship, we'll be bringing calves, uh, lambs, and kids home to bottle feed them in order for them to survive. It sounds remarkably uh, familiar to our current situation in America. Hey, this is Jordan Robert Kirk. Welcome to the JRK Podcast. I have my friend Adam Benka here with me today, and we're going to be talking about the case for having children. Hey, everybody. start this, this episode off with a, uh, a joke. A, uh, a Baptist and a Catholic walk into a bar. Now, actually, that's not a joke. That is what happens every time <laughs> me and this guy go out together uh, and play shows. Uh, Adam is actually the bass player in my band, has been for well over a year now, maybe longer and filled in longer than that. Mm -hmm. yep. And so... Uh, we both have pretty strong beliefs. Uh, we both are, you know, regularly attend uh, church services. He is actually a Catholic cleric. He is a deacon, and so we often talk about these these issues. And our goal is is always to make sure that we don't um, we don't overshade the the fact that we do disagree, but. I think what's what's often what all, what usually it boils down to is what we do agree on and what we can be in unity on, and so I thought uh, I have four kids. I think Adam's got me beat by double. Is it eight? I do eight kids, and so we just wanted to talk about that as uh, dads in a modern world. Um, you barely you know you're you're definitely solidly Gen X. I'm solidly Gen X. Seventy four. The end of the... Okay, 74. So right James in, right is almost... Middle. That's right, that's right. Yeah. You're in the middle. Yeah. Okay. James is almost uh, zennial. Almost or, out, or Millennial. Yeah, yeah that's right. <clears throat> and James was going to join us, and he wasn't able to. James, we miss you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but I guess in, in, uh, in 1950, uh, having four, having eight kids would not have been as uncommon. Now, the pe people are already starting to have 
uh, less kids. But in, in 2023, um, having a lot of kids and having them uh, start starting younger on the, on the younger side is somewhat out of the ordinary, uh, especially in America. You know, around the world, in different cultures, it does still exist. Um, and so I guess I'll kick it off with part of the reason why we're talking about this. So I saw this meme on Twitter, and I basically almost copied it and shared it to Facebook and said, of course, society wants you to worship a childless aging cat lady like Taylor Swift. Oh, right. <laughs> and I kind of got obliterated that I would, one, call her childless, even though, of course, she is aging, which she's only mid-30s, so, you know, by... Our modern day standards that's barely old enough to leave the nest uh but you know by medical standards 35 is a geriatric pregnancy so i was sort of i was sort of joking about that mm-hmm. and um and of course she is a cat lady so technically it was all factual but i definitely <laughs> i definitely kicked the hornet's nest on that so but not to um you know berate taylor swift any further uh, but I think we were just going to kind of talk about why we had kids and, and our decisions on that. And uh, I guess, Adam, I'll, I'll just want to kick it over to you. Before we get into everything, why don't you tell me a little bit, just give me a little bit of background with you and what you do besides playing bass with me pretty regularly and, you know, what you do for work, what you do with your kids, your wife, just kind of anything you, you feel like led to, led to lead with us. Okay. Led to share. Um, <clears throat> okay, I was, like I said, I was born in 74. I was born in, uh, my folks were living in Littlefield, so I was actually born in Amherst. There was a, there's a, there was a hospital in Amherst, believe it or not, in 1974. Yeah, that's hard to believe. Yeah. And, uh, very small town, folks. Yeah, very small town. Uh, the hospital's still there, but it's not a hospital any longer. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the anecdote of that was my dad busted in the doors there and, and asked if they did abortions there. Oh, so, gosh. Uh, and, and the, uh, I did not know this the attending story. nurse said, no, no, sir, we do not. And he said, all right, my first child can be born here. And then they actually took my sister up there when my mom was pregnant with number two. They, took, drove, they were in Lubbock already, but they drove up to Amherst to have her as well because it was a pro-life hospital. Wow. And uh, that's kind of the, that sets the stage for kind of what I was raised in, a very pro-life environment. Were you number one? Number one, yeah. Gosh, and so that was on the precipice of Roe v. Wade being uh, seventy-four. Yes, Golly. And my dad's lifelong commitment was to pro-life causes, and uh, I wouldn't—I wouldn't necessarily say that that guided my wife and I's decision um, to have or not to have kids, but it certainly set the stage. Um, and we never—we never intended to have eight kids. We actually have—we actually have nine. Uh, one didn't make it. Um, that was number number eight. Didn't make it. So. Um, us pro-life uh, us extremist pro-lifers say, count those <laughs> yeah that's right uh, not eight women have yeah. nine kids that's right right so uh, when we first got together uh, my family's five kids and my wife came from three and uh, so I said well five would be fine she said well three will be fine and then one of my smart aleck kids I don't remember which one said you both got what you wanted <laughs> and uh, so we just we have to draw straws to which choose ones which you claim, which, <laughs> right? Uh, and so in in any case, we never really we never really talked about it. Never really planned out to have kids. We we were married for five years before we ever had my first. And uh, 
Never, more, more than anything, we were just open to life. Yeah. And uh, our philosophy was if God is going to give us somebody to look after and raise, then he'll take care of things. Whether that be we're eating beans and rice, you know, with the dirt floor, because uh, many, many, many people did it for many, many years, and they still do it around the world. Mm. Um, or whether we're affluent and, um, you know, make plenty of money, which, which is the side that it ended up on for me. I'm a computer programmer yes. and have been for... I mean, you have a supplemental uh, income, too, with your live music. Yeah, I mean... I and that helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> helps you buy new guitar strings and stuff. <laughs> Pay for gas and uh, the beer that I drank, so... And the jerky sometimes on the way. And the jerky, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Man, I love that. My, uh, my other income stream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you dueling? Well, you're more than that. We all know you, you do. You do a lot of things. We can get into that later, but man, that is so cool because, um, golly, your dad had a sack of steel on him, didn't he? He did not give an f about anything. He was uh, walking in into his, that hospital like that. Yeah, in the mid '70s, he was a Democratic Party uh, precinct chairman. And, well, at uh, that time, it wasn't as split by party, was it? It wasn't, and uh, yeah. He, but he was from he was from New Jersey, and uh, him and my mom were both uh, pretty uh, well. Catholics in general, I don't think you can you can't really pigeonhole them into left or right in the American political spectrum. Right, it's a, apolitical. That's right. And uh, they, it wasn't a political conviction; it was it was a religious conviction. Right. And so, Catholic social doctrine is you, you we are obliged to take care of. Christian social doctrine actually is sure. we're obliged to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Sure. That's pretty clear in the Bible. Sure. And so whether the whether we vote for the government to do that or we're supposed to do that through our church, I'm much more That's where the split we're is. supposed to do it on the church. Sure. And we're not supposed to compel people or force people through the government because the government's secular and I talk a lot about useless. outsourcing on this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you. I don't want to outsource what we should be doing. That's, that's the the that, big issue is exactly. it's non-relational. You don't want somebody far away making decisions for right here. Exactly right. Because Washington, D.C. is not West Texas. That's top-down. That's trickle-down. We need to start calling it trickle-down. <clears> one of the edicts of Catholic social doctrine actually is subs- subsidiarity. And subsidiarity means you make decisions at the lowest level you can to those that are affected. So subsidiarity from a Catholic perspective would be the, uh, the church here next door to you yes. would take care of the people of Rawls. And then if they needed to go to the government, then that would be the city council of Rawls. Yeah. And then beyond that, it would be the county and then so so on and so forth. That's we end subsidiarity. Up having, that's subsidiarity. Okay. But we actually have is state run here in Texas right. and then ultimately federally run. And right. Local is pretty toothless. Yeah. Local church, sure. local government, kind of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in any case, he was Democratic Party chairman. In, uh, so he was active politically and he religiously. Because yes. he was active in the Catholic Church. He was, yeah. He wasn't just a pew sitter. No. He, he was a deacon as well. Um, mm-hmm. He was one of the, when they reinstated the married diaconate in Vatican II, he was one of the first. He had to petition Rome to get ordained because he was so young. He got ordained at 32 and a half years old, so... He's born in forty six. That was seventy eight. So seventy eight. Seventy eight and a half, I guess. Okay. Seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was four or five when he was ordained a deacon. Wow. And uh, yeah, so he. And but he was deacons, he was already had that strong conviction in seventy four. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And then he was like, oh, crap, they made it where I can be a deacon again, which you said that was 1,500 years in the making or, or 1,000, or what was it? Um, they suppressed the married diaconate in the 8th or ninth century, so it was about, yeah, 1,000, 1,200 years, something and like that. And they de-suppressed it yep. in and, the 60s. Uh, in the 60s, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> as a result, he was really involved in the, in the political process there. And he told me once that he had gone to a, a, the Democratic convention, I guess, probably, the, there in uh, Littlefield. Yeah. And they were pu pushing abortion real hard on Roe v. Oh Wade and everything. And, uh, well, and already asked, it was splitting, right? Already it was becoming a party was, thing. Yeah, it yeah. was. And they were pushing it hard. And uh, he asked them if that's the direction the party was going. And uh, they wanted him actually to run for office. Like he, I'm sure. Be, uh, because he was... Very larger than life, gregarious, uh, loud, committed. I, loud. I met him. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he was loud and, and passionate. Big, very man. passionate. Yes, and they wanted him to run for office, and he goes, "Well, can I be a pro-life Democrat?" And they were like, "Well, that's, you know, that's kind of that's kind of change." And we saw it change here in Texas. I'm sure. And uh, over, throughout the '80s, and that uh, was when my my whole family became Reagan Democrats. Mm -hmm. And it was that was the it was a social change in the early Everybody 80s. says it was a uh, a racial change. It was social and it had a lot to do with abortion uh, and the economy. Absolutely, and, you know. But it was a lot and to treatment do. of farmers. Yeah, it, it became urbanized rather than more rural. Right. And, and, uh, and whereas the Democrats had been, you know, more pro farmer for mm -hmm. a long time, for sure, as well. So they, there was a lot of stuff. The party switch. <clears throat> yeah, oh, that's. I need to do a whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, you do, anyway. you do a whole podcast. <laughs> and and the falsity of the uh, the party switch for over slavery back in the nineteenth century. Sure, uh, sure. But that's that's a whole separate subject. Yeah, right. Um, so he he bowed out. He said, "I'm I'm I'm going to be a political." Um, he was still you know anti nuclear weapons and all the. All he still the identified party. a lot with the Democrat platform, probably. The Catholic Parts platform. Of it. Well, the Catholic, the yeah. overlap. Um, and he was—he actually was the the communications director for the diocese of Amarillo. There was no diocese of Lubbock yet, and uh, interesting. So he ended up fielding calls from all over the nation. Uh, there, the, the bishop up in Amarillo, uh, Bishop Matheson, was got a platform for being anti-nuclear weapons back in the early mid '80s, which I remember vividly. And the bishop they, did the yep. bishop of Amarillo, and boy, they got they glommed onto that. The national media glommed onto that like, like crazy. And so my dad had to field these CNN interviews and sixty minutes interviews. Oh, you gosh. can look them up. Leroy Matheson, Bishop Leroy Matheson, anti nuclear. Matheson. Mm -hmm. What is Matheson? That's his last name. Oh, okay. And because of Pantex up there, so they were assembling the nukes out by Amarillo in his diocese, and he was opposed to it. Oh, but he's got in your dad's name, Leroy. <clears throat> no. It is. Okay, okay. That's why I was like, yeah. your dad's your dad's not your dad? Yeah. No. Know, he's <laughs> he's okay. a bishop? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, no. <laughs> the bishop. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Matheson. Okay, Leroy so, Matheson. If y'all want to look that yeah. up. Yeah, okay. Leroy Matheson, anti-nuclear. He was all over national news media. and That's uh, pretty interesting because I do feel like it's almost come full circle with war and, and nukes and everything where almost the right has sort of picked up that mantle, mm. especially in the past five years with Trump and Big figures like Tucker Carlson. As being anti? As being anti. Yeah, I don't man. know if you necessarily see that or not. It, I, I, absolutely, I do. Yeah. I think it's a distrust of our our government, our leaders, both sides. For me, it's both sides. I, oh, I, me I too. I don't, I don't, I don't trust a single one of them. 
any political party at all. I'm sure. always independent. But, sure. Um, and some things I'm left, some things I'm right. But right. as far as the the industrial military complex, man, I go back to Eisenhower and you right. know that guy controlled an ent- entire theater of World War II and then became president. And he's and, and still he denounced says, it. Yep. Says beware the industrial military complex. And yeah, uh, said <clears throat> I started looking into that and how many police actions, so-called, or military uh, actions we've had since World War II, and it's pretty much constant. Yeah. And, you know, you're not making any money if those rounds are staying on the shelf. And I, and the problem is is the collateral damage there, and, and we've well, seen the it. Well, the problem. I'm not that's telling not anybody anything problem. they don't know. You know? <laughs> the way you said that, I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's not the only problem, but that is a problem. <laughs> one of the, one of the many problems. Yeah. That's like uh, the ethical problems. Yeah. <laughs> the way you said that reminded me of Norm MacDonald when he was riding around with, uh, Seinfeld and he was like, you know, so-and-so said that his biggest issue with Bill Cosby was the hypocrisy. <laughs> And uh, and and you could tell Seinfeld just doesn't want to talk about it, and 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 he's like, yeah, and he's like, I disagree, and Seinfeld goes, really, and he was like, yeah, I thought it was the raping. <laughs> Dude, I love Norm I mean, McDonald. Yeah. That's that's a thing. Yeah, Norm McDonald would put something so intelligent, so you know, simply. What was it? He was. Oh, I can't. I, I was gonna say something else, and I already lost my train of thought. We, we need to. We could probably talk about random crap all night. But what I was gonna say was, like, your dad set such a strong precedent. Like a precedent. You had that example mm. to where, when you first got married, you weren't necessarily walking with God in the same way that you were brought up. <clears throat> and I wanted you to talk about that a little bit, because obviously that impression was so strong that you still had these convictions in spite of maybe stepping away from uh, from your devout faith mm-hmm. for how many years? You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I do need to first shout out to my mom because um, as far as the anti-abortion movement went, she was arrested sit- at a sit-in at an abortion clinic. Operation your mom Rescue. was more hardcore. It's like, yeah. listen, my dad was, was here and my mom was like... <laughs> So I can't I can't let it all be on my dad because you got strong my, genes. My buddy. Uh, the arrested members of my family are me and my mother. So you too. I didn't know that. <laughs> Not for anti-abortion. Oh, okay. For, for being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but yeah, exactly right. So I I I think it was probably my confirmation for for those of you who don't know Catholicism. You have two. Three right, three sacraments of initiation. You have baptism, which typically we do for infants, um, and then Holy Communion um, at after age seven, and then confirmation. Uh, typically, um, it can it can vary. Twelve or thirteen. Um, confirmation just changed. It, it, it could be by the bishop or the pastor when you get in there. Um, and confirmation is essentially with for classes, for, uh, sort of. You we they do classes. Yeah, but that's the adult version of. Uh, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay. So with baptism, um, we take the Bible verses where, where Jesus says, unless you're baptized by water and the Spirit, you will not enter heaven. So we baptize our kids very young because yeah. we don't want to have that risk of them not entering heaven. Sure. Um, but then we have confirmation, which is the mirror of uh, Jesus breathing on the apostles and giving breathing the Holy Spirit into them. Um, Say that again. So 
confirmation is the acceptance of the Holy Spirit. And that is the, the, the breathing tongues of, of fire. As so, con- so yeah, so confirmation is receiving the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay. And so that's that is the your just like nobody chooses to be born of the flesh, we don't allow our children to be choose to be born of the spirit. We baptize them. They don't get to choose to be born and they they're born through water, through the waters of baptism. They're also born through the waters of the womb. Um, and so right. that we don't leave it up to chance as far as they are going on infant baptism immediately. But we don't leave that up to chance because we have confirmation, which is the acceptance of the Holy Spirit. And uh, okay. so that that fulfills your initiation in, into the Christian church. Just, just uh, so, uh, you know, just to sort of give a balance here. So the word for that is pedo-baptism, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, Baptists would be. I never heard of pedo baptism until I started talking to you and looking these oh, things up. Well, because, y'all just call it baptism, right? And we just call it baptism. I didn't even know the difference actually until the last couple of years, because <clears throat> I became very interested in baptism as my oldest two at five and seven have expressed, you know, interest in being saved, becoming Christians, and that is for a Baptist. That's the next step. And actually, you kind of mentioned. You were like, well, that sounds like confirmation. You know, like the, the classes that we, we go through and that we put them through in order to be baptized and understand their salvation is sort of like our confirmation. Right. And so anyway, definitely we, we could probably argue about that. <laughs> but we at this point, we'll leave it there. Right. You know, credo or credo Baptists and pedo Baptists. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and just to, I don't know, steel man, pedo baptism. It was doctrinally developed in the same way that the Trinity was doctrinally developed right. because neither are found by word in the Bible. Right. You know, they are doctrinally developed. And whereas our argument would be credo baptism is, you know, what happened on the side of the road with the Ethiopian. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, y'all would, y'all would argue uh, something a little different, water and the spirit and, and a lot of things like that. But anyway, this is sort of a lot of a lot of times how our conversations go. We spend a lot of time in the car together, <laughs> driving to gigs, right. and oftentimes before uh, gigs, you know, sometimes we're, we're like uh, pedo baptism. We have some sort of a we have my, some sort of nation. a dark oh, liquor. Shout out to Coors Banquet. Here we go. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying to get that sponsorship. We've been uh, yellow belly simps for a long time as right. a band. Yeah, and yet. They still won't give it to us. Yes. What is the deal? <laughs> it's almost like Jr. and Rumpel. You know yes. Jr. with yes. the Red Dirt Rebel. Yes. Yes. He's trying to get that Rumpel scholar or I that he sponsorship. I thought he had a sponsorship. Dude, you would think. You would think so. He spent more money on Rumpel than any person I see alive. More posts from him on Facebook about Rumpel than I see Rumpel ads. I don't know if they advertise <laughs> on Facebook, but <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, that's good. Hey, anyway, getting back to confirmation. So I went to confirmation. confirmation when I was. Uh, I think 1819. 18, okay. And uh, then immediately left the church. And uh, did you, so you, could you have refused? Did you do that for your parents? Because I've I've had Catholic friends who say my parents wanted me to go through confirmation. Mm-hmm. I said no. Um, Was that in the back of your mind already? I mean, sort of like before confirmation, you're like, I really don't want to do this. Or were you? Did you go through it and then you think, Ah, crap! I'm done with this. Crap. No, I was more. Um, first of all. I believe in um, kind of the medieval values of fealty and loyalty and stuff, and so so it was sort of the, honor your father and mother, honor there's, your. There's a part of that, honor your lineage. Um, but 
my faith was purely emotion based and had been at the my time life. your your, yeah. your young life yeah and so Chari charisma as far as charismatic life, movement mm -hmm. yeah uh, the Catholic charismatic movement and so from which a affected belief uh, all perspective yeah yeah from a belief perspective I can't say that I had any relationship with God at all sure uh, even at that point sure and so there may have been some degree of hope that uh, confirmation completing my uh, Christian initiation would lead to that. Sure. Uh, it did not. <clears throat> because it, I'm not emotional. Uh, or I, should I say, I've, I have little emotional intelligence. Uh, of course, I'm emotional uh, in, in everything. I don't know if we've talked so, about this, but I reject that concept completely. What's that? Emotional, emotional intelligence. intelligence. <laughs> F those psychologists, okay? Well, even though those, the, it, it describes a phenomenon that we all know exists. The context that in, in which I use it is being able to talk about emotions, not, not necessarily... Um, sure. I guess I'm thinking of EQ. No, no emotional what do you you know what i'm talking about intelligence quotient emotional you know what is that I mean? iq uh, iq yeah. eq whatever for anyway. me it's more of a you're saying you can't articulate your emotions I well can't articulate them right yeah you know them but you're like i'm <clears throat> and so what ends that's up like classic is, man yeah okay what ends up happening is i i shove them in the closet shove them in the closet put them up on the shelf bury them and then at some point in my life they come out and they, it comes out as anger or lashing out or something. Rather than dealing with negative emotions in particular, they come out as all at once. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it probably happens to most men. And so sure. we, don't, yes. we don't feel comfortable um, displaying that level of vulnerability, even to our partner a lot of times. Yeah. And, and so we, we squash it and just swallow it down. And, and eventually it bubbles up. Because uh, yeah. that's one that is one part of our existence that that God gave us is is our emotions. Sure. Um, and so the fact that I didn't want to understand them, don't care about them, and I'll, I'm a I'm a programmer, so all I I live in logic and ration. That's it. One's a and zero. Emotion is not logical or rational. It is not in any capacity. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, there is no, there is no solution for this. <clears throat> so, all that is to say that kind of wrapped into my or was involved in my spiritual life as well. Yes. I was raised in emotion connection. Well, when that emotional connection wasn't there, when I moved out and, and you know, was in the world, mm. <clears throat> right. why was do I need to... I, it's, the, it's the whole typical thing where, well, I can worship God where I'm sitting right now. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it wasn't that I was... I wasn't atheistic or... Right. I, I was, at best, pagan. Uh, yeah. I was more like an agnostic atheist, but best pagan, kind of monotheistic from time to time. And the thing is, I, I was ignorant. I, I didn't know anything about my supposed faith, even though I had gone through the sacraments of initiation. Um, you knew the words, but they didn't hit home, maybe, or, yeah, or you had I, already for, you, you, you I, forgot them and you wanted I, to forget them. I, I knew the words, but I only knew them back to a certain point. I didn't realize the rich tradition of ration and philosophy and 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 everything within christianity and, right and we we uh, should do another podcast on that because he's oh got a gosh. lot of thoughts about um, that All oh right. my gosh yeah yeah <laughs> oh, that, that one will get me in trouble yeah. that one will get you in trouble <laughs> so we, we um, have to be yeah. we have to tiptoe around, no, around that topic here yeah. hit, the, hit the pause button a couple times yeah um so yeah in, in, I'm, i still got married in the catholic church uh to my beautiful wife and uh 
Did it right. Did it right. Did things thank, right. Thank God. It, it, again, it was a thing that, from my perspective, uh, I was hoping that there was something to all this, as it were. You know, all these sacraments and everything that people seem to really enjoy, but it didn't really do anything for me. Like, there was no, there wasn't really even an emotional connection very often. Um, well, that reminds me like intellectual. That reminds me like train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You know the proverb, like you had the head knowledge, and you were holding on to it in spite of your feelings otherwise. Like you, to, you knew you, you knew the truth, right. and and like so, even well, though you weren't really living, like you weren't like living it up here, you were like, well, shoot, I'm gonna get married in the Catholic Church. I'm gonna get married like well, the it, way my parents would. Then it degraded from there. And, okay, uh, from there after I, the marriage, I didn't, I didn't go to church anymore or anything like that, and that's where I started calling. When I call myself pagan, it's more like uh, kind of what we have now with neo-paganism and and this um, very secular humanistic, um, essentially self-worship in a lot of cases, narcissism, solipsism, and uh, that's really kind of where I ended up. I I didn't, it's not that I didn't believe in God, I believed more in a monotheistic, the, the, the deism. I would yes. say best it would be agnostic deism, but if I tell somebody I'm an agnostic deist, they think that I'm making things up, probably. So it's just easier right. to say pagan. Yeah, most people have no clue. <laughs> well, it's funny because there was an argument today about the founding fathers, and you know, people argue about how deist was Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. You know, but and 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 at the at the if you boil it down at the the very baseline. You know, he held, he held Christian morals. <clears throat> he, he held Christian morals, but he did not necessarily care for them, like to live them out necessarily. And he also didn't necessarily believe in a literal, like, God in heaven. You know, it was sort that's of like... That's where most of Europe is now. They, they, they have the cultural Christian because of their... Because it's, like, instilled in them for thousands of years now. Right. And they have these, these morals, as it were, but... They're secular humanists. They're atheist secular humanists. And they're like, well, you know, you just got to be a good person. You say, well, where did you get those morals? Yeah. Well, that's just being a good person. I'm like, no, that's 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 objective morality from the Catholic background of, of, sure. of your of your people. Right. Uh, that they just they just check themselves out of the of the ration. Yeah, I don't know. I should probably repeat this, especially for the podcast, but it's. You remember that? I, I don't know if I told you or not, but I recently heard it. I might not have told you, actually. But it's like a Christian walks into a bar and he sees a blue chair, right? I think I stole it from another podcast. I'm sure I did. And uh, he's like, that's a blue chair because God created, you know, the heavens and the earth. And all of those materials were expertly crafted in order to make a chair perfect to sit on. The color blue is rich and it's found in God's creation everywhere. That is a blue chair. A rationalist walks in and he says, forget all that God crap. We know this is blue and it's a chair because of, you know, nature and evolution and, you know. And then uh, a postmodernist walks in and he says, uh, well, hold up, guys. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but some people not might not agree that that's a blue chair. Could, to them, it could be a yellow couch. So let's uh, let's not be too hasty. Let's not be too decisive on this yellow couch. And then the pagan walks in and he says, uh, that's a pink elephant and I'm going to chop my nuts off. <laughs> and you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? 
Okay, so I have to I have to finish that. <laughs> Give up. me a qualifier. The, uh, okay. the Catholic walks in because today is December twelfth, the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. <laughs> blue <laughs> is the color of Our Lady. Our Lady's veil really? is blue. Okay. And so when we do that, when we celebrate Our Lady, everything, all the vestments are blue. <laughs> and then next door over here, when I was pulling up, uh, the Catholic Church here in Rawls, uh, they were they had just finished their. Mass for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know what? Cheers to <laughs> cheers to Catholics and y'all's love of uh, of Mary. All right, and every apparition of her. Yeah, that's pretty good. Hey, Our Lady of Guadalupe led to nine million conversions. You know what? The Aztecas in Mexico. You know what? As a Protestant and uh, <laughs> as a uh, you know, we're all sola scriptura over here. Paul would say, you know, as long as the gospel is preached. We do that's, not care. You true. know, we do, as long as the gospel is preached, they're like, hey, Paul, they're not really doing it like we're doing it over here. And he's like, and he's like are people coming to know Christ? Amen. There you go. Amen. That's right. you know, Actually, that's, a, that's That a may be segue. too ecumenical for some of my Protestant listeners well, yeah. out there. Well, that's a good segue into the ecumenical retreat that converted, that reverted me. Okay, thank you for getting us back on track. <laughs> <laughs> this is At this rate, it's going to be like a five-hour <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So yeah, yeah and 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 so actually, I, we're both leading music in the upcoming you're one. Leading music, I'm just the bass player, correct? <laughs> oh <my> yes. <laughs> well, it's not my name on the shingle, man. It's not like like Sean says. It's not a. We're just the music oh team, gosh. okay? Yeah, it's not the a Jordan team. Robert Craig music team. I just invite. I did invite you. Trey invited me, hmm. and I invited you. And thank you for joining me. <clears throat> but, and you have a history with that, and and you have a uh, some your classic value, your medieval mm-hmm. values of loyalty and fealty because right. of, of it. It's it's a pro profound um, impact on your. You call it a reversion. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Protestants would be familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, tell us about that. So, first of all, a little for anybody who doesn't know, Walk to Emmaus uh, typically Walk is Walk to Emmaus. A, Y'all come. February. Yeah, it, first weekend. It was invented as a, as a parish renewal uh, for Methodist, Methodist parishes. That's dead good well, Methodist. Well, Lubbock, it is not that. Lubbock, it's ecumenical, meaning... See, I didn't know this yeah, until he told me. Everybody goes, it's across uh, faith traditions. Um, they even let Baptists in. They even let Baptists in, and, and the biggest surprise is when the hardcore Church of Christ guys show up. Um, Heck yeah. And we love those Church of Christ. Yes. My dad used to say, if you're going to be religious, be religious. And so I, That's right. anybody, even if I disagree with them on their, on their Christian tradition. Sure, um, sure. If they're hardcore religious, I'm in. Like, don't you be, respect don't, that. Don't be lukewarm. Yeah, spit you out of my mouth. Spit you out of my mouth. So Walk to Emmaus in Lubbock is... Just an amalgamation of it's all. It's its own animal. Faith. It, it, there's well, our our lay, our lay director, lay leader is Anglican, high church Anglican. Talking about Trey. Trey, our good friend Trey. You've got Reformed guys. You've got uh, Baptists. You got uh, I don't know about any Church of Christ. Plenty, plenty of evangelicals. Some Church sure. of Christ, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe maybe not many. <clears throat> but what we do is we get together and we talk about uh, how we can dedicate our lives to our Christian faith. Um, and and we get any Lutherans? I know I'm like lagging in this conversation. For sure, we need to get old Brent in For there. Sure. Is he gone? He's gone. Oh, my He's man, gone. Brent. Yeah. Shout out to our buddy Brent. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. He. Uh, yeah. So the it, it's 
it's really interesting. We, we put aside our really committed differences and uh, razz each other. And, of course, the Catholics are always accused of bringing the beer. And uh, then everybody laughs. Accused, huh? Accused. <laughs> Found okay. guilty. The Catholics, <laughs> the Catholics had the beer on the fourth floor. Uh, so anybody anybody riding the elevator, be suspicious. The Baptists don't get invited. We have to sneak in the back door. Well, they just go up the stairs because nobody yeah, can hear them. the back door. They, they put on slippers. No. Yeah. And uh, no case, women there, though, so we're not going to be dancing Baptists. Right. Okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> we so, might uh, be. We never know. <laughs> so my parents had prayed for like four years for me to go to this walk to Emmaus. And, and, I was, and it, at what point in your marriage was this? This is in uh, 08, 07. Early 2000s. So we had early. had our second child, I think. Uh, By the grace of God. Yeah. You weren't even necessarily. Well, did you still have him baptized? In the I did. Catholic like Church? I said, man. You were, I, I mean, I was, you were lost. I was, I was trying to go through the things. I, I didn't want to deprive my kids. If, if there was such a thing as sacramental graces, I did not want to deprive my kids of that. Yeah. It, I didn't feel that because I was purely based emotionally. Um, and so, you know, my friend Drew Myers says he's got the tacos and chocolate diet book. I don't know if you, he, he wrote a book in it and, uh, it did pretty well actually. And he's a radio show host. He does all kinds of stuff, but he says, make the important things important, you know? And I feel like that's what, that's what you were doing. That's right. Yeah. You were like, well, this is important. I may not be regularly attending church, but you know, I'm gonna get my kids baptized because I believe in that. And my, my parents did that with me. And, and more importantly, my my wife, uh, believed in that. And so. Was your wife uh, raised Catholic as well? Mm-hmm. She was. She was. Okay. And she she never left. She uh, never left. No. She would. She just put up with your sorry. Oh, yeah, my. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that word. I, yeah. Uh, my sorry donkey. Yep. Uh, man, she would go to mass every Sunday and uh, during these years without you, without me, bro. Isn't that and, America uh, right now? The the men stay home and watch football or play golf, and the women. Just... And I was sleeping because I was playing six nights a week, pretty much. And, oh, uh, gigging. I was gigging. Play music. So I was up till 3. Texas 114 three, or was that a different band? Texas 114. usually. Shout out to our boys. Yep. Texas 114. Jason, Steve. Jason. Brent. What's up? Doug. Jeff. <laughs> uh, so we were out till 3 or 4 in the morning on Saturday. And so I, I was, that was back when you could smoke in bars. So I remember, man, I came in, I smoked. Marijuana. Like I, no, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> well, probably. <laughs> probably both. Depends on the place, yeah. Depends on the place. Uh, I'd come in Cigarettes. smelling like a yeah. chimney, I'm sure. And I'd throw all my clothes on the floor and everything and uh any stand she, up she on their own yeah she, yeah she'd wake me up for some time there a couple of years try and get you to go try to get me to go usually didn't uh every now and then i'd i'd crawl into the shower and stuff dang dude shout out to uh, april oh my oh, gosh yeah. what a hoss yep women man yep and like it's first peter or second peter it's like you know even if your husband's a Idiot, idiot won't go to church. Maybe he'd be won over by your your behavior. Well, it's and... funny. It's the same story with my parents because oh, really? uh, when, when they were... Oh, when Leroy. They together, What's your mom's name? Uh, Pat. Pat. Bad when they Leroy. got together, he didn't go to church either. And uh, my, the wow. paternal side of my family, they were the women would go to church. The guys went twice a year, Christmas, Easter. My dad didn't go to church. Without fail. Christmas and Easter. Not, usually with fail. With fail. And uh, they were not religious at all. My family was all engineers, all very logical, um, rational guys. Uh, not rational in the sense of uh, when it came to religion. No, rational right. in the sense of being engineers. Rational and, and materialist, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, right. yeah. And so when my parents got married, um, 
my mom would go to mass every Sunday, and after a while, my dad finally was finally felt, felt the guilt or whatever, and was like, "Well, if it's important to her, the Holy she's Spirit. my wife. I should probably, <laughs> I should probably go." And yeah. so he'd go, and he'd sit in the back pew, and uh, listen, and and eventually, something, some AKA the, the, the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit grabbed hold of him. Amen. And um, dang, I love that. Yeah, I love that. And so it was the same situation for me. I didn't go, and for me, it was not getting invited to lunch. So April would go to April would go to church. And, social. Uh, I started. I start. You know, I'd sleep in and come around noon or whatever. I'd I'd be like, hey, why didn't you wake me up to come to church? She was like, well, you know, if you're not, no. She stopped trying to wake me up for mass, and then she would call me to wake me up for lunch with her family. Well, then she stopped, and I so about you know I'd sleep in till noon or whatever, and I called her I'm like, hey, you know, why don't you call me and wake me up for lunch she's like yeah. well if you can't if you can't make it to church with me i'm not gonna I'm not, you're not gonna go to, i'm not gonna call you for lunch either yeah so, oh man yeah and so i started dragging my sorry butt out of bed for I'd, lunch i didn't this or did about, you go to mass too no 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 well i'd go about halfway through and I'd, you catch I'd, it I'd, I'd, I'd come in there and I, I was expecting that she was all happy that she's all gonna be impressed that i made it to mass and, and she'd she like, do this <laughs> The duck lips. She was not impressed. Uh, and it basically came down to we had always, we had always said we were going to raise our kids Catholic and everything, and I was falling down. So you the had job. talked about that. So like that was your commitment. Yeah. And like I said, I even like you, him, you didn't necessarily you weren't convicted, but you, but you were like that's that's still there. Like I still feel that. And it's important because it's important, and uh, that's a promise that I made. I just really sucked at it, and uh, and didn't feel anything. Uh, yeah. More than anything, I probably felt a lot of animosity uh, right. towards towards the church, and I felt it was very um, emasculated, feminized. That did not appeal to me at all. I don't that's think a that's only a, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, and I don't think that's <laughs> uh, unique to the Catholic Church. <laughs> no, I've, I've been around many no. and, churches uh, with that culture. Yeah, and uh, so I felt basically I, I was not catered to. As it were, yeah. Uh, that's pretty narcissistic, but and selfish, but um, that's how I felt. Sure. And so my 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 parents uh, had prayed for me to go this walk to Emmaus for quite some quite some time. And I, growing up, I'd gone to all these various retreats, charismatic retreats, and that's about the most emasculated I can possibly describe. And so I was not interested in going to a retreat. Zero, like negative interest. Is that where you know uh, some guy with a uh, with a uh, tight rubber band around his scrotum would get up there and and sing about his feelings to God, kind of thing? Kumbaya circles. Kumbaya, mm -hmm. real high pitched feminine voice, you know, half the time. <clears throat> don't remember that, but it was. I don't know. A, that's, uh, Seems like it's sort of the it, metrosexual kind of lots vibe. of laying on of hands and stuff, and I'm just like, man, you know, I prefer a, a, a strong handshake and look me in the eyes kind of thing, not a not a stroke of my hair kind of thing. Oh god, unless you're my wife. Yeah, I think the the Baptist idea of laying on of hands is a little bit different than the stroke in the hair, but it, it could, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I was gonna say, do y'all do this? But y'all do that, but it's different. <laughs> Y'all do, like when you pray, do you do that? Just a random question. Uh, the charismatics do. They, they Only the charismatics. Um, like when y'all pray for somebody, you know, like say they're going on a trip or a mission or, you know, like, or 
the eviction be ordained or, or you know like there is some some of that or something I, like that i would that. say 90 percent of catholics do because they're not like me what would for, you be for me not trying to criminalize uh, you here yeah appreciate that for me blessings of people come from the priest or a deacon or the bishop so as a as a cleric we've talked about we this. have we have authority going back to the bible going back to jesus himself to bless people sure um we as Christians should pray for each other. Yes, of course. But sitting there, laying laying on hands or doing a gesture or whatever. You is not think, efficacious. yeah, you think that that uh, that connotates a different authority. <clears throat> and it is sort of your point. And it, to me, it it's a display of virtue or emotion that is not actually efficacious. Right, almost like uh, yeah, when you pray, do not be like the heathen standing on the corner, Matthew six or whatever. Kind of like in that. a way, yeah, like showy. Yeah, actually, a lot like that. Yeah, it's it's a it's very emotional, and I understand it's effective, and I understand that there's probably other benefits there. Uh, well, and that's you know, what I was physiologically, I was say. Uh, but yeah, uh, from a spiritual, purely spiritual perspective, there's no tradition for that. The priest That's a blesses people, thing. yeah, um, and then I'm deputed to bless people as a deacon. Yes, uh, but I always yield to the priest because he has the fullness of the of orders, whereas I have just a partial. Yes. I, I have the diaconal orders, but in any case, well, um, and and I was going to say, I'm just not big well. on the emotional thing. Well, and, and I, I agree in a way. I mean, I think you know, I wasn't going to share a whole lot, but I. I was sort of like that six, seven, eight-year-old maybe that was just like understood and understood the gospel and, uh, you know, became a Christian and, and was baptized at probably seven, you know, which is kind of young for a Baptist or whatever. They sometimes want you to wait longer because, like you said, it's sort of like a confirmation. And um, But it was, it was around 13, 14, I went to a youth camp and I – it was emotional, you know what I mean, and I and and I'm I've become very wary, w a r y, not weary, wary, you know, sort of skeptical of that mountaintop high, of that emotionalism, of that revivalism, mm -hmm. which is very American, very recent, you know, it's very this twentieth century, maybe nineteenth century. Mm -hmm. And as you learn more about that, you realize, like, I think, as, as you mentioned, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to, like, call anything out as, in, as instructive and as, as beneficial it was for me to experience that emotionalism and that high and that, you know, good feeling. When it was gone, it was like all the beneficial might as well have left, too. <clears throat> And that was what I was sort of going to ask you because I sort of identify. Yeah. And you said, you know, the charismatic thing, and our friend has talked about that, Trey. Uh, you know, that was a 70s thing. And that carried on into the 2000s. I mean, I was at a youth camp in the early to mid-2000s. And it's still here. To, to lesser extent. And you saw the Asbury thing last year, and people wanted to bite my head off when I was like, you know, is that really the Holy Spirit? You know, like I, right. when you question those things. Right. And and uh, not, not to... Not to say in the same way that, like, you know, if the gospel is preached and people receive Christ, that yes, that's great. But if that emotionalism leaves and the Holy Spirit leaves too, was he ever really there? You know, that's, I don't know if y'all would put it, frame it that way or, or not, but 
that's that's very much my skepticism of that emotionalism, that mountaintop, mountaintop high. I, I would absolutely put it that way. Um, a couple of comments. First of all, emotions are fleeting, and what I experienced and what I facts don't care about your feelings, Ben Shapiro. That's right. Emotions are fleeting, yeah. and so you know, take an example an example as relationships, whether it be with your wife or with friends or whatever. Man, our, our paths with people go like this. And do we want yeah. that same path with God or do we want to, we, do we want a path that's slow and steady when, you know, slow and steady wins the race, right? Yeah. Do we want it? Think about when we have trauma in our lives. We, the first thing we do, we stop going to church. We blame right. God. We immediately retract from the, the most important relationship. And because it's an emotional thing. And so yeah. without that basis there, yeah. um, <clears throat> we get ourselves into trouble. Yes, and that's what I what I really struggled with uh, from that the charismatic movement was that was I, I felt that there was so much focus on the emotional high that what happens when I walk out of here, uh, it's gone, and, right. it, and then I'm back down. Right, and uh, and so I, I was very wary as well as you said. Um, so yes. this the walk to Emmaus. My my parents had had uh, petitioned. God to look at you being the me. better host than me. Yeah, bring it back, to the, yeah. bring it back to the actual <laughs> subject. I'm struggling, but I'm working on it. <clears throat> Very good. Uh, Very good. They had petitioned God Almighty to, to motivate me to go to this. And so I showed up. I think I'd been at band practice or something, man. I was sloshed. <laughs> when you got to Emmaus? So Thursday you co- night, dude. I, That's I was sitting Friday there. morning coming down. <laughs> I showed up. My dad, I think, I think my dad was my sponsor or something. He goes, "Do you have a good afternoon?" <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I stunk bad whiskey. Or oh whatever. yeah, chugging it. <laughs> and uh, so I, that that Thursday night there, I, they sat there and they, I, whatever they were doing on Thursday night, I'm, and I, I'm just like, <sighs> I'm out. Oh man. And so there's a couple talks on Thursdays, I think. Oh, usually they had, no, they had a one film. or two. They had a film. It may be a tie. I don't, oh, that's I don't gay. Remember. They don't do that anymore, do they? I don't remember. I don't remember either. Uh, I hate films as far as that goes. <laughs> it's like that's like the lazy way out. Hey, we don't we didn't want to prepare a talk, so we found this guy on the internet. Right. There's right. a DVD that'll do it for. I think it was a Jesus film, like Peter and uh, Paul. Anyway, not not Paul. Not Peter. even. Yeah, it's like this will impact your heart with this bad acting. <laughs> So, uh, by the, long story short, by the end of it, man, they went through all these talks, and the first day, day and a half, I'm just like, uh, you were asleep. Uh, You're still coming me, down, man. Killing me. No, but I have a big liver. I'm, I was good Friday. You morning, were just but, bored. You mean? Uh, and I heard it before, man. I, You're just I like same old song my, and dance. My parents were super Catholics, and my mom still is a super Catholic. My dad was a deacon. Like I, I knew, I, I knew everything. I had heard everything, and mm-hmm. uh, intellectually. But no yeah. emotion, no a, a big rejection of the emotional part, right? And uh, anyway, by the, the the retreat's designed to break your heart of stone, as it were. And uh, yeah. I actually thought about this the other day. Today's Tuesday. I thought about this Sunday uh, at the uh, at the Christmas deal there at the First Baptist Church, Idaho. A Kittaloo Gin. Kittaloo Gin. I looked that out, out there. And I was touched because it reminded me of Emmaus, where at, at some point <clears throat> I, we buy in. Well, 
We start singing them songs. Well, God knows a lot more than me. Amen. Even to my chagrin. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, and brother. And so how all, however all this works out with Catholics and Baptists and Church of Christ and Lutherans and Anglicans and all that stuff, however this works out, I'm pretty sure it has something to do with what it looked like at Emmaus yeah, with agree. all these different faiths that people who are giving of themselves and, and doing what we're supposed to do. Um, and uh, I want to clap when my kids are sleeping. Yeah. That, was, that was fire. <laughs> right. That was good. Adam. And good and job. We look, and okay. we look out there, and, okay. and God says, This is good. And we're all together, and we're all worshiping, and the choir of angels, and everything. Yeah. It's going to, I'm hoping it works out something like that. I can't yeah. tell you that from Catholic theology that that's accurate. Actually, I'll tell you something different. But right. uh, extra, extra Ecclesium Nola Salus, if anybody wants to work, look something up. Um, but the Catholic Church in the '60s expanded the definition of Catholic, and so we consider all of our all Christians are separated brethren. Now, uh, Catholic small C. Uh, I think the Methodists do Catholic small C too in their creed. Anglican, and the Anglicans, yeah. Lutheran. <clears throat> anyway, mainline. More the the bigger thing is is to actually seeing it, and seeing all these people together. Oh, and putting aside our visibly. See, yeah, putting aside it. our theological differences and worshiping God together and singing Christmas songs and everything. Yeah, there are there are with more, that uh, ecclesi ecclesiastical Latin in there. Yeah, ecclesiastical. He liked that. That's right. A deacon would like that, wouldn't he? Okay, keep going. And I, so I think the Venn diagram of this is it varies, you know, between different faiths, but yeah, yeah. and it's pretty much sliding. Different denominations. Right. Denominations, right? Not faith, because it's, it's only Jesus. Everybody right. else going to hell. All right, sorry. Yeah, but that's true. <laughs> that's true. He said it, not me. No, I didn't say it too, actually. Uh, I figure God has got something worked out because he wants all of us there I agree. praising and uh, and and just and reveling, in, yeah. reveling in, in life and then life after death. I've heard I've heard the uh, the invisible church is the uh, Protestant sort of uh, workaround for for being so divided. Have you heard that? Have you heard of the invisible church? Mm -hmm. It's sort of the church universal, right? But um, obviously, you know, Catholics would say there's one holy and apostolic church. Mm -hmm. And so Calvin and some of the reformers, and maybe not, maybe not even Calvin, sort of came up with this idea called the invisible church, which it's those. And, and, and I think you would sort of agree with this in, in a sense that, you know, there are, there are people in the Catholic Church who uh, are are pew sitters, who uh, who've never, you know, who've never, I guess, fully committed. There are people I know because in my churches, you know, that are just there. You know what I mean? And so the idea was the invisible church. It's the church that that only God can see, and it's those that are the faithful, those that um, have truly been touched by the Holy Spirit, and and. Um, and then there's everybody else. And the Bible does say that, you know, we're not universalists, that some will, some will perish. God is willing that none should perish, but some will. And so, um, anyway, that's what I, that's what I think of. I, I, I do feel like it's, it is a little bit of a lacking doctrine, even as a Protestant, you know, the idea of the invisible church. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely, there's definitely that, um, that ecumenical idea of, like you said, like the Venn diagram. You know, we don't we don't know what it is. Only God knows. Only God knows the heart. 
but there is there is some of that there and a picture of it really is at Emmaus and uh and so and your your re, your reversion was was, was it was it was instrumental and and and, and so yep. tell us finish that story so we can get onto the actual topic okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah I spent, what, what, I spent an hour talking about myself so far that's great no and yeah. that's that's, what, that's what this podcast ever that's what this podcast is <laughs> can about somebody come on here and talk about themselves that's why it's not called <laughs> the topical podcast it is called the JRK podcast because it's just giving me mouthing and with somebody else right. with me right. Maybe maybe some of your uh, non-Catholic viewers will find some of this stuff useful. To find out I hope so. That, that you know, Catholics don't have horns. Most of the, most of West Texas are like, I got that one black friend, you know, <laughs> because there's not many, you know, unless you go to Texas Tech and and you go to the athletic department where there's a ton of very athletic black men and women, and then 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 it's just as, you're shaking your head. I know I'm, I'm probably going too far here, and then and then but I guarantee. That most white West Texans who are like, I got a black friend, I'm not racist, would also be like, I don't know a single Catholic. Man, the reason I'm shaking my head and laughing, other than your because weird, of the comparison, weird, weird comparison. I know that's a weird comparison. Uh, I on the way back from Kitaloo Gin uh, Sunday with my son John, I said, Hey, do you notice, Joe? Did you, did you notice how many non-white people were in that building? I how said, many? This right here is why. When I was growing up, when I told people I was Catholic, they were like, what? Hey, you're white. I said, well, yeah, there's white Catholics. But out here in West Texas, all, all white many. people are not Catholic. Right. Pretty that's, much. That's true. Yeah. And so everybody assumed that and in my parish, I was the only, I mean, we were the only Anglo family. Only everybody, Anglo family. Everybody else was, was Caucasian or his, Hispanic or whatever. Yeah. I said, and I, t- I told John, I said, did you look through that building? That's that's why people think that all white people in West Texas are Baptist. <laughs> right. He goes, huh? Or black? Some black black, black Baptist, Baptist or, is a thing. Or, or that's right. white Baptist. That's true. But basically, there if there was like one half Hispanic dude in there, there there may have been one half Hispanic dude. Okay. In there. Okay. You know, I grew up FPC Adley, okay? Well, FPC Crosby didn't. Actually, Methodist Crosby didn't, then to FPC Crosby, then to FPC Adley until I was gone, okay? And uh, I love them so much. But if you look on the, uh, if you look on the Facebook page to the pictures on the FPC Adley Facebook page, they definitely eyed out the minorities in the crowd and took pictures of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which okay, every every Republican event, they basically they do this. They close, they, they squint their eyes, and then immediately spot the darker skinned person and go right. straight for That's them. Right. They do that at Republican deals, and, and they Baptist do deals. and Baptist deals. Okay, and Jesus was a Republican Baptist. You know that's what we say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my god, we don't talk great. about the fact that he was a Jew. No, just kidding. We definitely do. We say that. We have we all have that dumb bumper sticker. My boss was a Jewish carpenter. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. You remember that one? Yeah. No, we don't all have it, but yeah. I don't have. It. I don't put on bumper stickers. I did once, and then I, I sold that vehicle, and I was like, "Why did I do that?" <laughs> and I don't do it anymore. <laughs> but uh, okay, so anyway, tell so, us, tell us, what did Emmaus specifically? I, I reverted to Christianity, but I had a, I had a conversion experience. What was there. it that hit you? Was I it was, that ecumenical? Like, man, we're all singing as brothers well, right here. That that broke down the, the, the hard resistance, big the wall resistance I had yeah. to 
to whatever had built up about yeah. an emotional religion and all that stuff. And so I was there at St. Joseph's Church on Saturday night, and uh, they they'd done all their th- all their things and everything. I can't anybody who hasn't gone, I can't ruin it for you. Excuse me. They'd done all their things. That's true. That's true. And uh, so I was I was kneeling down there and I was looking up there at the not idol of Jesus Christ Sacred Heart. So we don't worship statues. Go, go Google something. Uh, anyway, so I was looking up there at the icon um, of Jesus Christ in the Tell us how heart. you really feel. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, basically, I said, I said to myself, I said, uh, actually not to myself, I said to Jesus Christ, I said, now's your chance. This is it. This is the crossroads. Oh, bro, do not put the Lord thy God to the test. I know, right? You did. And uh, I did. And uh, the moment I opened my heart to asking that question about whether or not I should continue to agnostic deism or to Christianity, well, here I am as a deacon. Bro. And it was, it was the moment I opened my heart and formulated that question in my brain, it was answered. Kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It was like milliseconds answer before I got the question out of my head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. We Reformed folks call that predestination. But actually, y'all agree with that too. Yeah, that's what I, I, we were talking about predestination a while back. And you're like, we agree. We believe in predestination. That was actually kind of cool. In, in a sense that. In a sense. That God is outside of time. And knows, outside like, of time. knows what your decisions are. He is sovereign. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he knows. You, you have made those decisions. And you, uh, um, he knows what those decisions are. It's right. like that movie Interstellar. Where they're yeah. at the very end, they're scrolling through the, the time of all time, the, the bookshelves and everything, the bookshelves. Yeah, that's a being without time. You you know what the the consequence is. You know what the decision is and the consequence. Amen. Omniscient, omniscient, and omnipotent. Amen, brother. Preach. Are you are you a deacon I'm, or I'm something? I'm a preacher. Yeah, he is a preacher. He <laughs> preaches. No, that's that's cool. That's wisdom right there, folks. That is wisdom. But uh. Okay, so yeah, fast forward. You uh, you had had two kids right then. Back so to the topic. Time, at that time, I had number three. That was three. Uh, Vincent. You had three in by two thousand and seven. Uh, you know what? Actually, let's let's pause real quick and top off our dark liquor real quick. Okay. Um, yeah. Adam, you were just saying two thousand seven. You had just Roast. had Svingavipo Sidelandian Skol. That's like Norwegian. I learned that one time. Skål. Skål. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> and Danish. And Swedish. Is it really? Yeah. All of them. Yeah. They're all inbred up there. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks. That's my, that's my heritage. That's your ancestors. Appreciate that. It's not like we're uh, <laughs> over in Scotland or whatever where my ancestors are. <laughs> we're not that bad. We probably, we probably are. We're the Utes. The Juts. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, oh, that's the uh, little Jutland... In northern Germany, that turns into Denmark. That's oh, you're talking about yourself. My family's from. Okay, there. okay. Mm-hmm. Did, um, the, did the DNA thing. Okay, but you said Scotland and, or I mean, uh, Sweden and Norway too, or no? The Danes. The Danes. Oh, Danes. Yeah. But Jutland. The, the word, the skull, is the same for all. For it's all. the same. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. All those languages are. Cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, you had just talked about uh, 2007. You had just had your third kid, and you went to Emmaus and um, found God. Yeah, you know, so I God had, saved. I was, what it reverted, you know. I reverted to Christianity. Yeah, and uh, from there, I, um, for whatever reason, 
uh, was compelled to go uh, inquire about being a cleric in the Catholic Church. Do you think that was in part because your dad? I mean, that you have that fealty, that loyalty that had stayed, and now all of a sudden you're serious about your faith. So, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, Yes was prior to that when I was still a pagan. I had gone and asked about being a deacon, which seemed kind of funny to me. In fact, I I went and talked to a priest, and I was really nervous about talking to him about it. You think because you knew you were sort of a fraud or in the sense Absolutely. Like, right, uh, right. Absolutely. You're like, my heart's not really in this, but right. here we go. Right. And so that that time would have been out of the loyalty to, to family or some kind of... You're like, I need to get something. Something. Yeah. Maybe a seeking for more sacraments mm-hmm. to see if something would, would you know, click. Click. Yeah. Um, when I went in 2007, the end of 2007, after my reversion experience, it was it was earnest. And what I found was that the faith was a whole lot more than I than I knew. And so I like like we had talked about earlier about it being emotional and the, the charismatic movement and all that stuff. The charismatic movement is not me. And uh, what I found And that's was a that, very short, tiny piece of, of Christian history. Right. And so what I found was I, I did find the spiritual side in a, in in a really cathartic experience with with Jesus Christ Himself, yeah. But I had had the I had the foundation of the intellectual side from when I studied philosophy at Tech, and uh, it, mm, it kind of all coalesced because yeah. I had read the Patristics at that point. That had been earlier, uh, years earlier, five six years earlier. The philosophy sort of came Seven full years. circle on you, and you were like, "Oh wow, this is all it, clicking." It all clicked at that point. Yeah. And it's funny. I think I texted you because I started reading a lot of early church history and. And I said, I'm going to make a shirt that says, all my homies read the patristics. <laughs> so I'm going to make that shirt. Nobody else make it. Oh, wait. Maybe we should make it next Thursday. Oh. Yeah, you, you can get Johnny Velvet to, to I know. read all my homies to patristics. Yeah, I was going to start it out, but I was I was feeling the flow, so I didn't do any announcements. But yeah, next Thursday, y'all, if you're if you're an hour deep in this podcast and you're just you know yearning to get it out to a show... Next Thursday, 6 p.m., Johnny Velvet on 34th Street, 2520, because I had to make the, the flyer. 2520, 34th, and uh, our band will be playing some Christmas tunes. Christmas songs, yeah. And a little Advent, too, you know, all of it. <clears throat> In particular, the songs that I cannot get out of my head. <laughs> when you practice them, that's <laughs> what happens. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. So... Um, so. That's, that's kind of where it all ended up, and then uh, I went into deacon formation, and then I had a, a lot of life-changing experiences. I moved overseas, moved down to South Texas, then moved overseas, uh, still went to, to deacon formation classes, and uh, really, at the, at the time, my wife is, is so amazing. She, um, we never really, like I said, we never really talked about how many kids we would have or anything like that. Yeah. But we were always open to life, and right um, it was a so, posture towards towards life, towards child rearing and bearing, and right. all that. So we moved overseas with with four kids uh, to the other side of the planet, South Africa, South Africa, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then we moved back while in utero with number five. Uh, my so one was born over there, or she was in utero. She was conceived over there. She's my African American. The fourth, I mean, though, number five. But what was where was the fourth born here? And here, then took she over was eighteen there? months when we left. When you left, okay, yeah. maybe you said that. eighteen okay. months. No, a year. She was a year old. That was Sarah, who's now almost sixteen. She turned sixteen on Thursday, which is crazy. 
blows my mind. The fourth one? Yep. Oh, my gosh. So, it, so number five was conceived over there, and uh, so she is, she'll be 14 in March. Wow. Um, so it's been, been a minute. Praise God. Uh, yeah, amen. And uh, in, in any case, I, I think the biggest thing for us is um, the overarching feeling always is trust and a submission to God's will. Mm-hmm. And even the reason I bring up my background and my my wavering between belief and disbelief and stuff yeah. is being willing to submit to to some authority. Uh, this is a this is a theme that I go that I'm in the middle of middle of a struggle with right now. But and you revisit um, and we've and, talked about it as we well. We've talked about this, yeah. And there's not a there's not a whole lot of a Protestant uh, counter or uh, opposite side of the coin on that necessarily. Yeah, that, almost to a fault. We're the everyman religion, or you know, whatever denomination. Right. We're like anybody can do anything. Blah blah right. blah. That's a, that's a that's a struggle I have right now because I, when I look back on my family and building my family, yeah. there was a there was a submission to the authority of the Almighty, um, whether I was a, a deist or a Catholic or, or in between. Say Christ is Lord. Yeah. Say Christ is Lord. That's anyway. I'm quoting something. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to joke. What is that? That's Padre Pio. That's that you know the oh, yeah, Shia LaBeouf thing. I didn't man because y'all say I, I that. really I really wanted to watch that movie. I did too, and I never watched it, but yeah. it stuck in me so much because I want to say that because yeah. So Padre often Pio, my, the, oh I didn't bring my dang it I should have brought what my, you, so my uh, you have a my uh, necklace is a third class relic of Padre Pio from when you visited touched, Italy. No, uh, or no, San Angelo, San Angelo. But you did visit Italy. Bloody, bloody gauze. But you visited Italy, a number of times, yeah. Yeah, but I don't, I don't have, I don't remember if I have relics from Italy. But my necklace, my Triskela pagan Celtic necklace, is a Padre Pio third class relic. That's awesome. Uh, and but, so yeah. the big quote from Padre Pio is, "Pray, hope, and don't worry." Pray, hope, and don't worry. Yeah. So well, they, and, they, and the Shia LaBeouf quote is, they put his, "Say Christ is Lord." Yeah, they put his much more dramatic side up on the. Of course, because well, drama. and 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 the reason I bring it up is because almost see, seeing that as a purely pop a top again, almost seeing that Coors Banquet, hello Yellow local Belly distributors, please sponsor our band. band. Yeah, that's right. We please. drink exclusively Coors products. Cheers, <laughs> amen. Okay, I just say like. Uh, as far as the topic of authority, I would say, like like I said, there's not necessarily a counterpart in uh, you know Protestant Christianity, but even in oh gosh, just American Christianity and probably Catholics as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong. We are all too eager to call Christ Savior, but very hesitant to call Christ our Lord. And that is that it, that would be our counter. We, we, you know, we even if we don't necessarily have a lot of emphasis on authority in our in our churches, we should say Christ is Lord, and we should submit our lives to Him. And yet, I mean, I think that that's sort of what you, maybe what you're getting at a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what, I mean, what do you, what do you think? Well, I think that that quote 
sticking in your head about say Christ is Lord makes sense for what you're saying in that context. Well, right. And, and it's, it's basically saying like, you are not, <laughs> that's why it sticks out right. to me because even like, I think of Jonah. Okay. Now, <clears throat> now I'm going to go on a full circle tangent, but I'm going to come back. I promise, you know, Jonah was not submitting to God. He fled, you know, to Tarshish or whatever. And I always tell my kids and I'm like, say that word Tarshish, Tarshish. And, uh, you know, he didn't submit, and yet God could see him in the bottom of the boat. And I always think when I'm sinning or, you know, uh, especially a lot more in my younger days when I feel like I was sinning more, I'm probably sinning just as much now, um, you know, and I don't think about it as much. But I, was, I, would, I would think God can see me just like he saw Jonah in the belly of the fish. God can see me just like he saw Jonah fleeing. And, and yet we don't really necessarily fear God in the way we should. And in part, it's because we don't submit to Christ as our Lord. You know, like uh, I talk about, like the wife is is the or the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is is the head of the husband and is the head of the head of the church. And um, and yet, and and like, and I can quote that all day long, and I can talk about that, mm-hmm. uh, and seemingly sincerely, and yet, <clears throat> um, that is one thing that I feel like I need to wake up and do and say that Christ is Lord. I need to just say that and remind myself of that. You know, that's part of that. That's part of that thing where we would say Catholics are so legalistic. They do the same thing all the time. And it's like, you know what, bro, we need to do that. We need to wake up every day and say Christ is Lord. We need to wake up every day and get in our word. We need to wake up every day and we need to. <sighs> yeah, this is actually something I was going to ask you. Like, you know, uh, the catechism is something that 150 years ago would have been in every church. 120 years ago, maybe 100, 100 years ago, maybe would have been in every church and now it is very uniquely a liturgical you know tradition whereas you know our our a lot of our churches are not as liturgical and and I'm and I, I may be even ranting now maybe we've had too many of these what is the catechism meaning what catechism meaning uh you know <clears throat> our doctrine beliefs that are derived from scripture whereas we would say oh you need a scripture and yet We've already talked about multiple things that are doctrine we that have, have much, been developed. We have much more distinguishing. So our liturgy, we we have doctrine separated from liturgy. Liturgical praxis for us is the act of worship and the act right. of participating in the sacrifice of the Last Supper. Well, and I and, and the only reason I say liturgical is because you have that tradition. It's my theory that you've held on to the rest as well. Well, we have gotten rid of that <clears throat> liturgical tradition, yes. and thus we've got oh, rid of the we, catechism. We, we got we got words for it: lex orandi, lex credendi. Lex orandi, lex credendi means as we speak or as we worship is how we believe. Mm. And when you when your liturgy goes soft, as it were, and for me the experience was very uh, effeminate and uh, emasculated. When that goes soft, I don't mean to make the, I don't need to make this weird, a weird <laughs> correlation here. We're not going to go there. <laughs> but when that goes soft, everything goes soft. Right. Belief and and uh, and teaching and all that stuff, and maybe that was that maybe that's the intent. And so when we emasculate the liturgy, then we emasculate our belief as Christians. Remember that picture I sent you one time that that had uh, Jesus. 
with the if you if you split his face with a piece of paper, it was two. It was the uh, mm, that painting. paternal, yeah, paternal Jesus, and then the judgmental Jesus, right? Because you guys still believe in the judgment, yeah. And so, we, although a lot of us have uh, only focused on the rapture, which I did, I need to do like five more podcasts on all right. that. It's like <laughs> oh, it's going to be bad, but we <clears throat> won't even be here. I want to be on one of those rapture ones so we can we can cuss and discuss Revelation. We can lay on <laughs> lay it on thick. Lay For it all on you don't know, cap, rapture is an invention of Americans in the last hundred something years. It's it, completely it's, it's not sola scriptura. Or it's Catholic. not. Yeah, it's neither. And it's. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was from some novelist, probably Dan Brown or something. No, it was 1830 was the earliest mention of it, but okay. it wasn't even. Did, uh, that, did that develop at the same time as the altar call? See, I thought the altar call was like 1930, but somebody told me it was earlier. It Second Great Awakening. When I looked it up, 19th the other century, mid 1800s. It's all in there. Methodist I mean, slash dash evangelical. I don't right. know what was happening in the 1800s, but. Uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote about what was happening in the late 1800s, and probably C.S. Lewis. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were talking about the uh, top hat wearing dandies strolling around the streets of London, uh, making fun of the religious folks. And I think there was all something happening there post-French Revolution. Industrial Revolution, I mean, I I want to do a podcast on this as well, but I mean, pre-Industrial Revolution, you didn't have, you had most men uh, were autonomous, in the sense that they worked for somebody or they worked for themselves or they farmed, you know. Most people were agrarian. And then Industrial Revolution came and you had, that's why union, and, and that's, and, and I'm very anti-union sort of in principle, but that's why unions were so instrumental in uh, taking back some rights that had been taken away because of the Industrial Revolution because children were growing up without their fathers because their fathers lived in the mines. They lived, well, that was that was pre-Industrial Revolution. But well, in part, it was it was made uh, better because of all the inventions that made mining, uh, you know, better. But it made l- their lives worse, and they were like, you know what? You can stay down there for sixteen hours a day, come up, you know, make take you an hour to get out. But you know, and then and then you can go right back down there for sixteen hours a day. I was talking to one of my kids the other day about um, <clears throat> the combination between cultural and religious motivation. Um, sure. In, in, from defining countries as first, second, third world. If you look at South America, Mexico, a lot of a lot would define those as second and third world countries. There's sure. a tendency to identify those as, as with the religion of being Catholic. But then yeah, you also look at, uh, look at Bavaria in Germany and you look at a lot of the, from Bavaria down in Europe and they're first world countries and they're all Catholic. Mm. So I, I think there may be some kind of corollary correlation there don't really know what it is. I have to look into it more. But the the, tr- the true fact of this is is that the Catholic Church has always supported workers' rights. And sure. so I man, when I was a when I was a pagan, I was super right wing, super right wing. You're more right wing. Do what? You're more right wing. I was very right wing. Right now, I'm not not right wing. Screw you, right wing. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, because because I understand like you know the. The what the arrangement is for a Christian is to is to approach these things with much more, or should I say, less cynical mindset of yeah. employers 
and workers and all that stuff. Right. It's supposed to be more, more relational, right? Sure. And so um, it's very interesting to me to look back on America's history as a, pro- as, as a Protestant nation and look and see how much they abused workers. Whereas in the Catholic tradition, there were workers' rights. And in fact, one of the, one of the sins that cries to heaven for vengeance is depriving workers of their wages. Cries equal, to heaven for equal vengeance. Equal to sodomy. Right, I've, I've heard that right, well, I've talked phrase. To, talked to you about that. You've mentioned Those that. sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Sodomy. Sodomy. And depriving workers of their wages. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So you're saying like that vengefulness the, will come the, from God. Like employers, yeah, you, you are smoting. You, you've been, you've been, you will have been smited. You've been, you've been smited, smited. <laughs> are you smitten? You're fixing to get smoke. Yeah. Smoke. Uh, so I'm going to start I saying smoke in regular conversation. You're smoking. I think that's really interesting though, like that, that a sin that cries to heaven for vengeance equal to sodomy is depriving workers of their just wages. Like that's pretty serious to me. Well, and then we look at here over in America, which that was happening with, it was pervasive. And I'm I'm not a fan of unions now in the 21st century, depending on how dangerous it is. Like I'm I'm not a fan of the telecommunication workers of America, who just sit there and answer phones and type, because carpal tunnel syndrome is not the same as falling off a train and getting run over by a boxcar. So I'm okay with unions <laughs> in railroad and you know dangerous trades, but as far as it goes with a lot of these other ones, uh, maids, actors, vacuuming, SAG, after uh, another one, yeah, screen actors, actors killed. Oh, oh no, screw the screen <laughs> actors killed. It's, we don't know any actors. Just, how, it, we don't get paid for our work in perpetuity. You sold it. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, make a better deal. Have you Trump, ever, have you ever of thought deal. about reading the contract? I mean, yeah. sorry, you're dumb. So, yeah, you're, yeah, you're not a you're not academic. You're an actor, <laughs> actor, actor. Y'all are not that intelligent. That's why you don't do things. <laughs> you pretend to do things. Gosh, I should not be bashing actors. Uh, you practice you practice somebody else's life. That's right, and we idolize them for that. Why? Because <clears throat> they're cool. Because they because of a good because of have, a good score. You have managed to bring it all the way full circle back to Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh! I said the music, didn't I? I said because of a good score. Look at that! Because of a good soundtrack. Man, there is this dude. There is this thing right now called the the Dinks, the dual income, no kids. Those and they're 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 recording themselves traveling around the world. Oh yeah! Let me tell all you all you folks who are watching or listening right now. I have lived around the world with four kids. All it takes is a little bit of planning. It takes more logistics and a, and a desire to do so. And your life, when you're laying down in a hospital, dying, and I'm the guy who has to come visit you, some schlub from West Texas, because you have no friends and no family. As a deacon. That's, as a deacon. that's part of his that's duty. part of my ministry. He, he wants to take care of y'all. In but my y'all mind, I'm thinking, what decisions did you make over those 30, 40, 50 years, the meat of your life, to not bring kids into this world or not even try. I I, I understand. People who can't have kids. That's another either, thing. You know, that's, that's, that's a completely different topic. A different thing. You choose to not have kids and you choose to be selfish that's and right. put that's all your choice. resources on yourself. What is, 
what no, is, we are not what is exist, What is existence meant to do? What are we meant to do? Right. We are meant to procreate and raise our children. That's literally the only thing we're supposed to do. Right? Be fruitful and multiply. Uh-huh. Oh, you should write a song about that. I did, I think. <laughs> it's funny, too, because we had two kids when I wrote that song. And I didn't think Hartley was pregnant with a third yet, and now we have four. Yeah. And I was like, Lord, set be fruitful and multiply. Oh, oh. <laughs> Paying some more fruit from the family tree. That's what my, my wife gets frustrated lines. with me when I tell I told my kids all of them. I'm like, if you guys want to get married at 15, I'll do the wedding. Uh, you can live with us. And Bro. she's like, she's like, <clears throat> she's like, no. Uh, but she wants grandkids. But I'm I'm to the point, man. So. That's very, very fringe and radical. Tell me more. Okay, so that is so fifteen. I, I mentioned that we. Were, I thought eighteen was radical. I, I think I mentioned that we were the only Anglo family in most of the churches when I was growing sure, up. Sure, sure. Um, Catholic all, West all Texas. My, all my part for the course. I spoke Spanish as my first language. Um, as your first, as my first, because you were just uh, around it. Because my friends were. My friends were all... So in 1974, 1977, let's say. Those first three years. In Littlefield, Texas, man. It was all Mm. migrant workers. Right. Obviously, I spoke English to my parents. But my friends didn't know... No entiendes inglés. (laughs) And so... uh, No comprende. My my parents' involvement in... They're, they're Yankees. My dad's from New Jersey. New Jersey. My mom's from Detroit. Oh, I didn't know that. And they, they moved down Detroit. here, and they loved the West Texas people so much. They were gonna they moved down here for one year, they thought, to teach. As Catholic As uh, missionaries, Catholic missionaries. Kinda, oh, missionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Leveland, Texas. And then uh, they were run out of Leveland for, for being a little too Catholic. So they went to Littlefield, which... Um, was uh, was very charismatic, and that was their that was their thing. And but still, Catholic. that's why I was born there. Very, yeah, charismatic Catholic. Oh, okay. Father Joe James. Were there no Catholics in Leveland? No, plenty. They had St. Michael's School, St. Michael's Church, but but your parents were too uh, my charismatic. Parents were too Catholic. Too Catholic for the Catholics. They, I'll just put it to you this way: they liked the Mexicans too much. Your so, parents, my parents. Oh, so there were white Catholics there. And they were like, what are y'all doing rubbing shoulders with the Browns? Pretty yeah. much. Pretty much. They ran them they, off. When it, when, it, when it boils down to it, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, that's about and, uh, and so they went to Littlefield where that was not a problem. And cool. uh, my, my, my folks had heard that there was a charismatic They were woke in Littlefield. With the Browns uh, at the rectory. Los Morenos. Yeah. They heard there was charismatic prayer meetings happening. So they went up there and they played guitar and sang and... Folk uh, mass. Father, Father Joe James had folk mass with with the Browns, and uh, it was probably like a uh, a guitarra. No, it was my dad playing. Oh no way! So it was a guitar, guitar. <laughs> oh heck yeah! yeah. Not, not guitaron. Guitaron. That's what I was uh, thinking. So, El bajo what, what really resonated to them more than anything was the authenticity <clears throat> and the total dependence on God, because they well, didn't they were have two Migrants. That's hard. Didn't have two nickels to rub together. It's not they easy were, life. They were cooking food in the, you know, in the ground between the furrows. With the, they put a grate on the furrows and built a fire and in cook, the field. Cooked the beans in the field. Like this, this is a hardcore po, po real po. Very resourceful. 
And, and depending uh, on God. Man, and my dad would talk about going and ministering to these families that had dirt floor shacks. And this is the 70s, and if people don't remember this now. You know, we're, we're such a rich country yeah. that even the, the poorest of us have $500 a month phone bills. Uh, or whatever you know they yeah. have fifteen hundred dollar phones you're and you're poor and you're talking about today uh, now today right right you're poor and you're what do they call it they don't call it hungry anymore they call it food insecure or something food like insecure. that you're food insecure you got a fifteen hundred dollar phone unhoused and a and a two hundred dollar month phone bill or five hundred dollar month phone bill even the homeless got those smartphones yeah and so when my when my folks when I was coming up my folks were actually ministering to people in shacks on dirt floors. And they saw such work. trust in, in the providence of God to have them fed and to make, the, make go with the flow, man. That, that, and I think that actually goes back to your main topic about with children because these are the families that had 20 kids, 24 kids. There was a guy over we're here. We're talking about a good relationship, uh, a healthy sex There may have been a guy here in Rawls or Crumb, right? Roswell Crossbyton, there was a deacon who had 24 kids, and he had two houses. They're, they were pretty small one-room houses, but they were next to each other. And all the girls stayed in one, all the boys stayed in the other. And he died probably eight years ago or something. No way. Yes way. Living, you guys can look him up. He had like 20, 24 did mean, kids. Did you mean yes way? Yes way. Yes way. Yes way. <laughs> Dude, that's a living legend, man. 24 kids. Dude, you know my brother-in-law. Huge family. My brother-in-law Juan. He was uh, he was on three or four podcasts ago. Shout out. His I'll grandma. Yeah. You did that. Yeah, you I did. did. Yeah. Uh, his grandma. Every I think she recently passed, but I remember every year before before my sister and him even met, started dating, got married, they would do a billboard for her because she was like late eighties. Through like 103, 104, or something like that. And they would do a billboard in Rawls wow. for her. And, and I think she had who knows how many kids and grandkids. And she was the matriarch, I guess. Dude, I but, wonder if he's part of that family. Dude, I, I don't think was so. Catholic? Yeah, Calderon. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't, that, that, I should have asked him that. When he was on, we were talking about career job you know your purpose mm-hmm. in life how you can do that under the glory of god and um so we didn't really get Man, into I his backstory that name uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all well and out. i hate i i shouldn't say it's a little <laughs> bit of a stereotype you know mexicans got a big big families well catholic mexican you know los dos um and they uh you know there's a lot of calder i, I know calder runs the garcia's the gars is the you know what i mean but it so, was a unique name like calderon well, so maybe that's more unique, and I just I've known it because I've been around here my whole life. So. Yeah. Even though I didn't know him, you know, I I met plenty of Calderons. So, gosh, I need to look that up. In yeah. any case, that was that twenty four. That was the whole deal, man. Think think about that. Talk about and trusting God too. That's like, that's the thing about the case for children. Well, not even necessarily, is, but like you're giving it up to God because, I mean, a husband, when a man loves a woman, <laughs> what are they gonna do? <laughs> you know, they are going to. Continually sanctify that marriage. No, I don't know. I don't even know what the right word is. But I mean, they were. And we, we talk about that. Oh, she gave me a look. Hardly got home now. Uh, we talk about that too because we have four kids, and um, people kind of bug us about: Are we going to have more? 
And this is a cat. Let's talk about this. This is actually a good topic to. Well, shoot, we're, we've been all over the place. We've been literally everywhere. You said it was going to take an hour and a half. We're at an hour and a half. Well, plus my intro. So we're, we're over. We're already over. Okay. But um, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast is like three or four hours. Yeah, we're good. Now I understand. We're why short. It three or four hours. We're short podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they don't take breaks. We only took a short break. Anyway, um, they did for the pizza. They do the double pineapple double anchovy pizza. Where's our pizza, Hartley? Come on. I was looking for a double anchovy place. And they, I can't find one. So. You know, I like anchovies, but only like out of a can on a tractor. You know what I mean? And maybe with like mustard or hot sauce flavor. I like anchovies too. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I like interesting. all those weird canned fish things. But so that's, so as a sort of a living, sort of a pagan agnostic, did you still sort of hold to the uh, contraceptive thing? Or were y'all using any contraceptives? Because we got married and uh, we didn't... We were 20, she turned 21 right before we got married. I was 22, fixing to be 23. And so everybody told her, get on get on birth control, which actually realize now how harmful that is to a woman's body. Uh, 99 times out of 1,000, 990 times, excuse me, 999 times out of 1,000, very harmful. And, um, and... You know, we had used condoms. We used several types of contraceptives. Um, but Catholics have always been pretty based on this in the sense that at least from a from a church, you know, the church, I don't know if it's doctrine, dogma, but I don't know what you call it, standpoint, contraceptives are off the table. So, And I'm, not, I'm sort of asking you personally and also church-wise, answer as much as you feel comfortable. Yeah, I'll answer both. Okay. Um, so when we were doing our, uh, pre, it's called in, it's called pre Cana because I don't like the wedding at Cana. Cana. Right. In our pre Cana, we were given bad information now that I know now. Um, do you think it was sort of a, a flub or do you think it was, I think it was because, um, I don't go too there far. had been a lot of, a lot of looseness creep into Catholic praxis and, and catechism. Um, yeah. And so... And that had trickled down. <clears throat> I yeah. keep bashing yeah. capitalism here. Yeah. And... And that's what so y'all got. Well, we, what we were told is that the marriage bed is undefiled, and so you're allowed to do whatever you want. Um, Who said... Okay. Expound on that a little bit. What does that even mean? The marriage bed is undefiled, meaning um, everything... Everything goes. The, the, bounds of a, of a marital uh, contract. As is, long as you got a ring yeah. on it and you said I do. So, so yeah, we, we use contraception. I was opposed to any of the the uh, chemical stuff or chemical the stuff. hormonal. And I don't really know why. I think I was just pretty distrustful of a, a lot of things because I'm Gen X. Naturally? Naturally. Um, so I didn't and, and April too so she didn't want to take any pills, pills. or anything like that. That's good. And uh, We didn't even have that. Millennials, we're just walking through life with our thumb up our, and you know, just right. chilling. We're just like dirt, dirt. <laughs> uh, and so, I, you know, I don't even. So y'all did for a while. Y'all used yeah, contraception for a while. That's why we didn't have kids for five years. Right, five and years. I, I also have no idea why. Uh, I, I think you were we living had, your life. You were traveling. I think we had. Uh, did y'all travel? No, y'all didn't. Even no, travel. we were just working. I was working at a convenience store. 
she was working at a convenience store. And so wow. I, I don't, honestly, I don't even know why. I think it was like an assumption of what you did. It was in the air, secular, man. It was in the air. It's like, I mean, some of the things I was raised on and, you know, shout out to my parents. I mean, they, they raised me in church and they, they taught me the word and everything. But like some things I, I look back and I think, would they have done this if it wasn't the popular thing? If it wasn't mm-hmm. because literally everybody was doing it? Mm-hmm. I would say no. If they would have thought about it too, they probably still wouldn't have done some of the things. And that's sort of like why we, almost to a fault, analyze everything we do. Because we realize we are not living in a Christian culture. We are not even living right. in a Christian Christian culture. Right. The Christian culture we're within is not even Christian half the time. You know what I mean? Right. Which you would probably agree with. <clears throat> I would. And that's really where, after my, after my reversion experience, I started questioning everything I was raised with. And Did that include contraception? You see, yeah. I made a conscious oh, decision. Yeah. To go off contraception in order to have a first kid, before you were really no we were, no no that's was that an accident? Uh, no, we were still using it up through probably my reversion experience. But how were you um, having kids? Just happen. Just happen. Really? Yep. Which they're not they're not that effective, I guess. And well, no, but y'all were still open we, to it. Yeah, you were well, still open. We to use it sometimes and sometimes not. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, of course. Honestly, I bring it back to um, much more of an anti-massage, or actually I am anti-emasculation. I'm an anti-emasculation. Sure. When guys ask me if they should have kids or whatever, my answer is to that is, well, only, only real men and real women can have kids. Right. And so if you're a... Little whiner with your propeller hat, and you can't handle it. Either have them to man up. That's true. Or have them because that is that is your God-given calling. Yeah, there's nothing that'll make a man out of you faster than having uh, extra mouths to feed and and uh, realizing that you are inadequate and. Uh, you need to get out there and make some make some. A lot money. of guys are motivated by fast cars and and a lot of money. Okay. Well, you know what? That stuff descends into dust. That's right. You know what doesn't? When I tell my kids, I, I think of we, yeah, we we pray over our kids' names uh, while they're in utero. We we only found out we thought number seven may may have been the last one that we ended up having two more, but uh, we only found out the sex of number seven because everybody was. Wanting us to have a sex reveal party, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, number seven actually, she is named after our friend Brian. Her name is Martha. Our friend Aww. Brian died, and then uh, he would never Brian tell. He, he would never tell any of the kids at the barbecues <laughs> his name, and uh, so he had Martha written on all his Tupperware and stuff. Oh my Martha gosh. Right, and so oh, just pick the name out of the Bible. Well, he he used to call himself Kermit, but that was that nobody believed him. And then uh, Kermit so, the Frog, yeah. yeah. So he wrote Martha on his Tupperware, and then so in the hospital when we when when April had Martha, uh, mm, he told so the nurses, cool. yeah, Martha's named after our friend Brian, and the nurses were like, okay. That's, that's right, that's, Martha that's, and Brian. That's one thing. That's like uh, uh, that's like Ignacio <laughs> and Nacho. Yeah, right. <laughs> or Pancho and Francisco. It's like what? So we had we we found out the sex of one kid, just just Martha, and uh, 
really, I, no, I lost my train of thought. Dang. Martha and um, lost shoot, se- seventh kid, Martha. Thought thought it was your last. Yeah. Your. Uh, I went off on the Brian tangent. Brian, what? Not a, bad. Nah, you're good. <laughs> well, I mean, I think. I don't know. I think. Uh, you know, our our biggest thing was was mostly like being open to God's will, and. Um, Actually, when Hartley got off of birth control, uh, because she was on it, and, and we, we, we didn't know any better, you know? And now, we, now I mean, if anybody were to it's ask like me, too, yeah, exactly. It's the water we're swimming in. The water we're swimming <clears throat> in, the water <throat> we're drinking is full of uh, estrogen. But anyway, that's another topic. Sort of become an environmentalist if you think about all the crap that's in our water. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean... She, when she got off it, it, it actually took a while for her to become regular in her cycle, and we thought, "Oh crap, it's going to be a while." And, it, and luckily, it didn't. It didn't take um, maybe half a year, you know. Which you know, some people might hear that and scoff because I know people that try for years who really want children, and that's. I mean, I mean that's. I feel like you know what is it? Uh, what's what's the saying? Like God doesn't call the equip; He equips the called. Um, you know, like like David was was not like Saul was six six. David was not a very big dude, sort of ruggedly handsome and not handsome. You know, Saul stood head and shoulders above all the Israelites, and and God said, "This is not you know the Mashiach. This is not the chosen one. This is not this little shepherd boy is." You know, he equips the called, and like what you were talking about is you know as a father, um, you know you become stronger. Um, because because God puts you in that position. That's what what it takes for some people. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Is we'll go ahead and finish it. Yeah, actually, that goes right back in. That that brought it back to back back to my mind was good. Um, God puts us in that position. Um, we prayed about our kids' names. We we had a girl named Including for, for Martha. All all of them. And <clears throat> we actually didn't even decide for all four until. About that time, yeah. I mean, we sort of had an idea, mm-hmm. but and that's I like the idea of praying though, uh, praying over the name. And it's in your mind, and you dream about it, and all this stuff. Like it's and then and especially the women dream about things like uh, when they're pregnant. Like and I'm I'm sure you know this. this I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Sure. Um, the intuition like spikes. It's crazy. I was talking about that about you know animals in, in our intro. I mean, yeah, it's it's right. a real thing. God God it's equips a, the called. Full circle there again. And so what I Women what I tell my kids is that names are so important because uh, first of all we don't name angels. We were given the names of some angels in the Bible, three I think. Um, Michael Gabriel Leonardo. I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to think of that third Teenage one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Michelangelo. No, just uh, and so the na- I tell my kids, I said, it, 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 it bothers me kind of when people name their kids these very uh, secular names. Maybe they have th- thought. Maybe they're family names. I don't know. Oh, gosh. But, don't get me going on but, dumb names that people name but, their kids. So in, in, the, uh, in the hospital, the nurses were like, your, your kid's name is John, Mary, Martha, 
like it is so unique to have a kid with a unique name. Whole point being, we pray about the kids' names. That to me is, I, I told my kids, you have one thing before you're born and you have one thing that you leave on this earth. That's your name. Let's take a short break because it is pouring got, here in West Texas on the tin roof. We got tin roof. All right, the rain calmed down a little bit. We're going to finish up this podcast. Adam, can you just pick up where you left off? Yeah. Um, what I told my kids, or what I've told my kids their entire lives is uh, we, we see all these interesting names. I'm not criticizing anybody that I will. or anything like that. I'll criticize them. But uh, these interesting names that a lot of the kids have that give teachers a real hard time. My wife's a teacher. Hmm. And uh, yep. gives the teachers a real hard time with spellings and pronunciation and everything. Uh, what I told my kids is that your name is the thing you have before you're born and the only thing you leave when you die. You, you, don't, take, you don't even take your body. Your name is on that tombstone. Yep. And that name is connected to you and in people's memories for as long as they remember you. Really? Right. That seems like a pretty important decision to me. And so when it comes to the whole topic of this conversation about about kids mm-hmm. and the case for children, yeah. Um, that's I put that in level of importance on each one of them's na- on their names. Uh, as being uh, gifted as to be the, entrusted with that particular soul in this material existence mm. and then the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really, <clears throat> I think the takeaway for me would be uh, give it the due importance it deserves. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, Mostly, I told you I was going to interview you, and so I didn't really share much. But um, you know, I there's there was a very popular book in the mid early mid two thousands called the Don't Waste Your Life. You know, it was John Piper, and uh, he was talking about retirees. But I also think about the uh, millennial the millennial urge to travel. Uh, as a young couple or as a young single, you know, it's mm. uh, a lot of people put their money into that basket. They put those eggs in that basket and they want to travel the world. And, um, you know, I actually, I don't know if I told you this, when I first recorded a demo and it was about 500 bucks and I was just like, I just spent 500 bucks on a single or maybe maybe it was an EP. I can't even remember. And I thought that was so much money at the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's that's not that much. And uh, I told Hartley, I said, "Your wife just got back from Costco. I don't know what that sounds like. Five hundred bucks in twenty twenty three dollars. I know this was twenty fourteen dollars. In Joe Biden America, five hundred dollars is basically uh, <laughs> it's a what shopping I, I don't cart, even know what yeah. grocery buggy. Yeah." Uh, and and but I told Hartley I said I just spent five hundred dollars on this on this music stuff, you know I don't really want to feel like I'm blowing our savings like, you know I just want to say do you is there something you want that we should invest in that we should spend money on and she told me I want to be a mother 
and she was still in school. She had transferred from Texas Tech to Louisiana Tech. And um, I was maybe 23, she was maybe 22, you know, 24, 22, something like that, because we're about a year and a half apart. And um, so I was like, okay, let's do it. So she graduated, you know, 20 weeks pregnant, you know, from Louisiana Tech. And, um, and Anderson was born a few months later, and nine months after that, I finally quit my offshore job. But I almost look back so thankful that, and when we when we talked, you know, our, our conversations as a couple was, you know, she was going to be a stay-at-home mom. That's what I wanted as a wife. I wanted my wife to raise my kids. I didn't want to. I hate to say this because it feels like a majority, but it's really not because I know some people don't have the option. Although I feel like you always have an option, but that's just my American is coming out. But, uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want a daycare raising my kids. I want my wife raising them. You know, and and uh, you have a priority. That's my priority. Thank you. No, you always have an option. You always you do have, have an option. You have a priority. My priority. And so we were on the same page from the get go, from the G I T G O get go. And I, I. I I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that a lot of people don't realize that there is option, there is an option. I, I fell into that same deal where we thought that she had to work, I had to work. We, we were both raised very, very poor. American dream. American dream. Dual we, income we, household. We both worked. And uh, the only way we could afford anything was for us to both work. But you know what, man? Um, when you make a priority of something, you figure it out. Life and changes. I, and I tell you right now, there's never enough money. There's never, never enough, enough money. money. There's yes. never enough time. There's never enough anything. Mm -hmm. There's never enough. Uh, I'm gonna. I gotta send my kid to college. There's never enough. I'm gonna buy a car for my kid. There's never enough. Yep. There. It's just. It's just not. Yep. And I think once you grasp that fact and realize that that's a bill of gold goods that you've been sold by a bunch of liars, secular humanist liars. Yep. Um, You'll be much happier. Yes. And, and and you know what? Rice and beans are just fine. You can you can live off of that. You can live off I of love rice meat, beans. but I do love mess. So as long as those beans are refried. Go back to my folks, man. They they experienced that Mexican culture. They had five kids. They had no business having five kids. And they had no money. No money. <laughs> no money. But you know what? We we made it. And humans are adaptable and hopeful. And uh, you got your faith, and honestly, man, that, mm -hmm. that's such a big part of it. Yep. And without without faith, without hope, and of course without love, the greatest thing. Yeah. You know, but you're, you are going to have problems. That's right. Don't buy don't buy into the lies. Don't yep. buy into the American lie. That's Actually, true. that's the biggest part of the the whole your whole point of this podcast right. don't buy into the american lie that you got to provide and an ipad and a computer and a car and a college education for all your kids right and, and i think I, I was i think i was speaking for both of us that we're both you know proud americans we're not like anti-america in any way my wife's putting up her fist over there yeah she loves america no i'm just kidding <laughs> she, she was scratching her head i'm first of all i'm a texan texas first <laughs> <laughs> don't get this conflated I put my American flag at the same level as my Texas flag, but if somebody's that's gonna, right because we were going to call me on and it, and one day we will be going to call me on it. Oof, that's a 
So, Ooh. I am Texan. That's right. That's first. right. Texan first. <laughs> but I mean, we as we denounce this American things, by birth, Texan by the grace of God. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Uh, I say I say that as we as we denounce these things of American culture, which I've done multiple times, you've done multiple times. I think we still love America, but I think we recognize uh, the the pros and cons, you know. And uh, and a lot of the you know I, I think of the uh, camel and the eye needle. You know, we are a rich country. We are a wealthy, well off, and a lot of a lot of those things are obscured from our vision when when we have it so easy, and that includes God. When uh, you can buy a solution, then you don't have to wait upon the Lord, That's which right. is what we're supposed to do. And, um, right. you know, for me, I would say, you know, like you said, it's a priority. Uh, for us, it was, um, it was just the only way we were going to do it. And I think, I praise God that we had good mentorship. You know, you have your pre-K, no, our, pre, our pre-marital counseling was um, uh, an older couple who had had children who had been through life and were saying, what are y'all going to do about this? What are y'all going to do about this? Y'all need to get on the same page about this. Y'all need to follow the word of God. And they sort of got in our face. Praise the Lord. Because yeah. if they hadn't, I don't know where we would be. And uh, that was... uh, I just I just married a couple last, two two weeks ago, Tuesday or something like that. And uh, that was, my pre canon for them was, you're getting married and this, this is a openness to children. And mm. uh, we talked about careers and all that stuff and uh basically the the crux of it was if you set out in marriage wanting the woman to raise in in it wanting to raise your kids have kids and raise them plan for that don't go out and buy a car don't go out and buy a dodge ram that's a thousand dollars a month or something like that i guess it's just ram ram now don't go buy a, <laughs> don't go buy a, don't go buy a Ram Longhorn for a thousand dollar a hundred thousand dollar truck. Yeah, where you rely on those those incomes. Plan it. Yep. Oh well, you're just a misogynist. You don't want women to get educated. I didn't say that. Go get educated. Well, get a I'll get a that. get a PhD. No, sure. Get a PhD. Sure. And then raise your kids. And then later on in life, when you're just bored, or you want to do online class or something, teach somebody. Yeah, or, that or point it becomes logistical. But you 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 plan for you your family to raise your kids. I wish I would have known that early on, where we didn't have to, have to work. But I, it just was never really presented to me. And so I would like that to be presented to anybody listening right now is go into that knowing and planning what you want. Right. Plan for your wife staying home, homeschooling the kids, preferably because. Otherwise, your values your values are not going to be instilled in them. Your Somebody values are secondary are. or tertiary. Even you are working against the values that they are going to spend nine hours a day at a school system that is against your values. If they're listening to this, they're probably against your values. Right. And then you're going to spend the, your three hours with them working against those nine hours, and you're going to lose. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, one, yeah, three hours versus nine. What's what's the odds? Also. On that? The best thing ever is staying up to 11 o'clock in the the evening and not having to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to find a dang-gum uniform or socks for your kid to go to school. (laughs) (laughs) And you say that because y'all did both. Oh, we did both, yeah. Yeah, 
Don't well, so for all you don't don't know, my wife has a master's in math, and uh, she taught at public school. She taught at the rich public schools in Lubbock, and then she taught at the Project Intercept East Side schools, East Side, East Side Estacado, and then the Project Intercept schools. the poor schools, the schools where all the kids were. That was the last step before. They don't say poor. They say hall. you know disadvantaged. Disadvantaged. She also taught at the the juvie school. Um, the juvenile hall prison thing. Yeah. Um, and she loved it and was very effective. And then she taught at the Catholic school, the small Catholic school, rural Catholic school in Slayton. And then she taught at the big Catholic school in Lubbock. And now she homeschools our kids. And we never thought we'd homeschool, uh, but I am a huge proponent, huge proponent now. Uh, I mean, out of all those deals, probably the best one was Project Intercept. Mm, when was that at? alternative discipline school in Lubbock over on Martin Luther King. That is interesting. Do not send your kids to be institutionalized because they will be institutionalized. Well, and I, you know, I, I didn't plan to make a stand this early on education, but I might as well. I mean, so our school, our, our kids go to a sort of a hybrid, you know, mm -hmm. three days homeschool and uh, two days at, uh, at Kingdom Prep in Lubbock. And um, I mean, I would, I would pretty much agree with you. I mean, what 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 is the saying? Why do you send your kids to Caesar and be surprised when they come back as Romans? You know, and we've been right. sending our kids to Caesar for 60, 70 years and and um, they're no longer it it is no longer um, a Christian nation. You know, it is a postmodern secular nation with relativistic values. So you know, even even the values you give them, they're going to say, well, that's true for you. What does that even mean? That's easily falsifiable, you know, in every sense of the word. And so that, that means nothing. That's right. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I pretty much, you know, as far as the case for having children, I would say, yeah, just be open to it. Your pre-Cana uh, advice was be open to, be open to children, you know, I mean, because you're gonna do it anyway. You're gonna be practicing. Might as well just follow through. You know what I mean? That's what that's what we always joke. Oh, we're practicing. Don't be a punk. Oh gosh, my man. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, be open to children. And, and uh, I mean, you you said you could travel the world with them. You know, the, I the, did. the price goes up. I did. Um, especially if you, if you know we, we're in a you know private uh, homeschool kind of hybrid. Um, the price goes up there. You know, if you, if you go in all homeschool, you'll save some on, on some end and, and you'll probably spend more on another end. But, um, you know, public school is, is uh, you know, just the cost of your soul. No, I don't want to hate on my public school. My public school <laughs> homies here. But, I mean, uh, y'all know we're pretty clear. We, our, our positions are pretty clear on it, though. Um, but, all that being said, yeah, have some kids. And I think we, we might, we, we had talked about doing a follow-up episode to this. So uh, we might do Call it. Call me when you want to go to Germany or Rome or Italy or Ireland. Why? I'm going to Ireland next year. Oh, you mean you travel buddies? Yeah. Okay. Y'all are going to go together. I filled, up a, I filled up a passport. All you guys who cry about having kids and not traveling, I filled up a passport and had to get a new one. That's cool. You have no excuse. Well, With four kids. And that well, that's what I was gonna say before at the time. At the time, and that's what I was gonna say is too. Like, yeah, it's gonna be awesome at fifty looking back at your passport stamps. 
uh, with no children. Uh, you know, what is more beautiful? Nobody cares about your nobody cares about your pictures of old castles. Sorry, that's true. They're better pictures. They're better photographers. They all they all care about you, even if it's a selfie in that picture. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. But if it's a selfie without the children, those those things are great. But the greatest adventure is is raising children. And what is a more beautiful thing than having these little mini me's? Jesus, awesome power reference. This, that looks so much like your wife and so much like you, and at the same time, look like neither of you. And at the same time, with such a bad attitude. And sometimes you gotta. <laughs> and then you realize. You, know, and then you, you don't realize, spare the rod. You realize you are the one who gave them that bad attitude, and they are you. It is inherited. You know, all of these, all of these, uh, all Man, of that these. That kid topics. is so hard to get along with. Oh, he's just like me. Yeah. It's funny, you know, it made me think like, you know, we, we've touched on these topics, you know, more or less, but it, it made me really think like, should we even let women vote or gays adopt? Minus two. <laughs> hey guys, we had a fun time, me and uh, my bass player, Adam. Um, Y'all make sure uh, to add it to your calendars. December 21st, we're going to be at Johnny Velvet on 2520 34th Street. Um, Bring t-shirt ideas. Well, no, I think we're going to have an idea. A, oh, okay. Yeah, because it's got to be the... Bring t-shirt ideas that we can steal. For later on, because we... we well, that's actually, we're going to save that. We're going to save that announcement. <laughs> that's a t. That's called a t-shirt. That's called foreshadowing. A t-shirt teaser. Uh, but yeah, 20, 21st, we're going to be playing a Christmas show. Um, and... Uh, what else? I don't think we're doing anything else for the new year. So, as far as band wise, but y'all uh, make sure to follow, like, subscribe, um, excuse me, add, uh, add all of the Jordan Robert Kirk songs to your playlists. Make sure and follow. Uh, please leave a five star review, like, subscribe. I know I already said that. Send this to a friend. Copy that link. Send it to a friend. You have no idea how much that helps. Because you're picking somebody out who you who you know who might like this show, who might enjoy it, um, who might like country music, who might like uh, super opinionated Baptists and, and Catholics walking into bars together. Oddly enough, and, um, and you can find me as Deacon Benka on Twitter if you'd like some really 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 based uh, Catholic pithy trolling. They like, call it X now. Oh, X. My, my last, X. my last episode was the case for trolling. So you, yeah, I know. You, you that's why I brought it up. That's that. why I brought it up. He, he would agree with that, um, <laughs> that uh, thesis. And so. if you guys have any uh, Catholic questions you want to ask, go for it. I am, I am he a Catholic is apologist. He the walking uh, and Catholic I am, encyclopedia. And I am nasty. Sorry. He's not nasty. He's I'm, zealous. I'm, I'm a zealot. He just will not back down. Yeah. And honestly, that's why I like him because <laughs> he says, "Be if you're religious, be religious." If you believe something, believe it and live it, and that's why we get along. And, and I want to hear it, even when we disagree. We have we have differing opinions on things, and yet we did, we get along great. Yes, um, in part because of music, but in part just because we're buddies and we have an opinion. And and uh, actually, back in the day, the quick quick note: I had sometimes more non-Christian friends because they were real to me. They weren't lying to my face. You know what I mean? And a lot of my Christian friends would. We're duplicitous. They were two-faced. And so anyway, <laughs> that was a, that's probably another 
we, we mentioned probably 30 or 40 topics that could be full podcast right. episodes. And, and we they just touched re- on them. Go review this and just write a list down. I will. I will. Y'all do that too. Y'all add them, uh, add them to your playlist. Uh, tell me if you want me to, to repost a screenshot or a little screen grab uh, because because uh, a segment stood out. Just timestamp it. And um, yeah, man. Dude, thanks for being on the show today. We will thanks, do all that. And uh, yeah, y'all uh, share it and we'll see you on the next one. Peace and God bless everyone. See God ya. bless.